The Lord be with you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are now coming to your word and to some really, really, I guess it's all important, Lord, it's your word to us, but uh, just a, a, a point in your word that we can, uh, that we need. And, and particularly, Lord, as we come, as we begin Lent, uh, Lord, these are our portions of scripture that we just need, that we need to meditate on. And um, So we ask, Lord, that you would open uh, your word to our hearts and our minds, and that you would open our hearts and minds to your word, and that you would uh, feed us, Lord, even as we've been so well fed with uh, eggs and sausage and uh, all that, Lord, we pray, God, that even more, uh, because we hear that man does not live upon bread alone, but by the very word of God, we ask that you would feed us uh, with your word this morning and nourish us so that we may go out and love you and serve you, to love you and to love our neighbors. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning we are, as I said, in Luke chapter 3. Oh, I got one. I'm, I'm good. Thank yeah. you. Thank you so very much. Um, we're in Luke chapter 3. Uh, John the Baptist preparing the way. And, uh, and then we will head over to... We could keep going. We could go straight on into Luke. But the E100 switches over to Matthew uh, and looks at the temptation narrative there. Um, Interesting, isn't it, that that's how it's fallen, the temptation narrative uh, on the first Sunday of Lent. It was kind of an accident. Well, not kind of. It was an accident on my part. It was, we'll call it coincidence, because that's also the gospel reading, although it's the gospel reading, uh, the temptation narrative for Luke today, first Sunday uh, in Lent. How's your Lent going, by the way? Have you, have you, have you blown it yet? Have you said, oh, I need a Savior? Don't forget... Pride over not blowing it is also an indication that you need a Savior. Just, just so you know. Just so you know. Alright, so let me, um, let's get into Luke chapter 3. Where Luke tells us, we, we've just had the, um, the birth and the boyhood of Jesus. Luke gives us the only snippet, uh, the only snapshot of, of Jesus' boyhood. Uh, but we have now uh, John the Baptist. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Ichiria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. That is... That is uh, that's a pretty lofty language, uh, isn't it? Uh, all of this. Why would John? Uh, why would Luke be so specific about the time? Is he just being formal? He's well, a doctor. He's, he's a doctor. Yes, he's used to ultimate precision, as are your doctors. Um, the uh, so yes, he's ultimate, used to precision. That's important. Detail is important. <laughs> But why else? It's not just... Okay, what, what are you already saying over there? You're looking very animated. Yeah. Yes. He's given us a specific point in history. This is not a myth. This is not a legend. Uh, this is something that happened right in that year. It was A.D. 29. Give or take a year. Because uh, Tiberius had... There was a little period of co-regency with Augustus Caesar several years before this in 1415, something like that. And so, um, and so it's just it's a, 
Luke doesn't tell us exactly if he's taking that into account, but it's about the, the year uh, 29 A.D. And the word of God comes to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. This is John the Baptist, or the baptizer. Uh, my joke about that, he's the original JTB, right? John the Baptist. And, um, and it was funnier a couple of years ago when I said it, but that's okay. I'd just like to see if you're, you know, hey, still with me. The original JTB. He came, came, the Word of God comes to John in the wilderness. This is very important to notice that it, John isn't just starting to say things in the wilderness. John isn't planting a church in the wilderness. He didn't get some, um, some great ideas that he wanted to share in the wilderness. The Word of God came to him. That is, there's an outside... Um, source of his wisdom and his knowledge. The Word of God is compelling him. Coming into him, there's a, as Jeremiah says, there's a burning in his bones. Uh, and, you know, I, I, sort of, I sort of know what, it, what he's talking about. I mean, you know, if I've, I love vacation, but gosh, after a couple, I'm ready to get back up here and teach. I just, there's a burning in, in, in the bones for, for someone who's called to this. The Word of God comes to him from outside... But it, I also, just pastorally, I've always found it such a comfort that the Word of God comes in the wilderness. I think that's very in, intentional because the wilderness is where we need the Word of God, spiritually speaking. When we have been going through a very difficult time, when we are in a, a, a space in our life of spiritual dryness, uh, when we have uh, relationships that ought to be a delight to us but are not. We might think of a spouse or our children or our parents. When we enter in a season of, of secrets and covering something up, when we're in a season of, or just have this shame that we can't shake, of course, shame's twin is guilt Many other things. Uh, when you're in a period of, of um, existential lostness or physical or financial lostness, it is such a comfort to me that God's Word comes in the wilderness. It's just so much better than if God had come in the lush garden, the Word of God had come in the, in the lush garden, or, or had come in, a, in the... Uh, Met, John was a banker. He was the president of the bank, and the word of God came to him in the corner office. You know that that would have been much, um, uh, in some way, understandable, and maybe even more expected. But no, John uh, receives the word of God in the wilderness, and I think we can take that pastorally to our hearts because we know seasons of wilderness in our life, not just physical, uh, geographic, or environmental barrenness, but but um, spiritual. A barrenness. That's where the Word of God comes. That's the good news. right? In fact, we, we actually hear in verse 18, as we go further, and this is the good news. This is, um, uh, even as he says, you brood of vipers, and we're gonna, I'll read it in just a minute, but Luke says, with many other words, he preached the good news. I just think, I've never really thought of brood of vipers being, that, I, wouldn't, I don't know that I would hear that and say, oh, wow, that is good news. But it actually, actually, it actually is, I think, because John is naming for them what they, what they are all already pretty sure is true about themselves. 
That's what we tried to do. When people say, why do, you, why do you guys talk about sin so much? We talk about it because people, it's already on your hearts. We want to give you vocabulary. When you look in the mirror and go, oh, what is wrong? It's not because you, can't, you are worse than your neighbor. This, you have this thing in your heart and in your mind that is fallenness and you need a Savior. And so we just want to give you a vocabulary to that. And I think that's what John uh, is doing. So let me. So this is what, what John does. He, he went into all the region around the Jordan River. So not just in one spot, but up and down it seems like. Proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet. Again, we've just said the last couple of weeks. This is very Old Testament. The, the novelty, or the, uh, the importance of, of John the Baptist is not because he is new. It's because he is fulfilling uh, what was said of him in the Old Testament, as is uh, the case with Jesus. As is written in the words of, of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight. The rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So Isaiah is saying there's going to be someone to prepare the way for the Lord. And what he's going to do is he's going to put everybody on equal ground. The, the low will be lifted up. The high will be brought low. The crooked will be made straight. And that, because the Word of God comes to the wilderness, and it doesn't matter if you are low or high, you know wilderness times. And John said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by Him, I'm so glad you came this morning. Welcome. Uh, is, that, is that right? <laughs> you all are so looking so lovely. It's, it's lovely to see you all. He's an English vicar. That's what, that's what John... No. He says, you brood of vipers! <laughs> and they didn't run away. I think that's remarkable, actually. That they didn't run away when he said, they're not, I've had enough of this. I didn't come out, I didn't travel all the way out here to be called a, a snake. No. He was giving them vocabulary to identify what was going on when they looked at their own reflection in the puddle or whatever. I don't know if they had mirrors, but... You, who warned you? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. We're going to come back to that verse. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Well, you can imagine the crowds are pretty unnerved by, by what they're hearing. And they say to him, well, what, what do we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. And whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Well, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, 
Just collect no more than you're authorized. They said, but wait a second, that's why we became tax collectors, is to collect more than we're authorized. That's why we chose this path. Soldiers also asked them, and said, well, what should we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusation, and be content with your wages. Again, well, wait. What good is a sword if I can't use it on people who don't have one? And as the people were in expectation and all were questioning in their hearts concerning John whether he might be the Christ, John answered them all saying, I baptize you with water. But he who is mightier than I is coming, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. And He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in His hand to clear the threshing floor, to gather the wheat into His barn. But the chaff He will burn with unquenchable fire. And so with many other exhortations, He preached good news to the people. (laughs) I always, for a long, long time, thought that the winnowing fork is in his hand. He is going to clear the threshing floor to gather the wheat, that's the good people, into his barn. And the chaff, that's the bad people. He will burn with unquenchable fire. But I think, actually, the wheat and the chaff are from the same stalk. And it's the wheat in me that he will bring into his barn and the chaff in me that he will burn up with unquenchable fire. He's sanctifying you and me. He's, bringing, he, he's putting the Holy Spirit upon you, and the Holy Spirit's uh, job is to drive out, root out of you that which is not of Him. And that actually is good news, isn't it? It's amazing, actually, we, so that's the passage. Let me go back, and um, he's proclaiming to them a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. How did the people, up before this point, how did the people receive forgiveness of sins. Sacrifice. Animal sacrifice. The, the symbol in the animal sacrifice, you take a perfect lamb or bull or whatever it was given the, the magnitude of your sin, uh, and you would, in essence, you would put your hand upon the animal. Um, sometimes that happened actually, and sometimes it happened sort of from a distance spiritually, but you would place your hand upon the animal, animal and there was a a recognition there's a transfer of your sin to the animal. The animal died so that you didn't have to. The animal was your substitute. I wonder, and I actually, I looked through some materials that I have, scholars and such, and I couldn't find anything about this, but it struck me this time, and I how many hundreds of times have I read this, but this time, that perhaps... The reason they were coming to him is because animal sacrifice just wasn't cutting it for their, for their own conscience. But how controversial it must have been that he was offering the forgiveness of sins through faith, through the expectation of the coming Messiah, through water wash, you know, sort of symbolically flowing over them, but not through an actual death. And I wonder, as the Pharisees are coming out, if they're coming out with pitchforks, essentially, sort of like they did with Jesus, but the, or if, if the people are just saying, 
watching the animal is that doesn't actually it's not helping anything maybe is there something else i can do is there somewhere else i can go to because i i have a hard time reconciling what i hear from the preacher in the synagogue and what i see in my own life despite how hard i try maybe that's just me overlaying on top of this but i think that's kind of the human experience And so John is actually beginning to lay the foundation not only for the coming presence of the Messiah, but actually for salvation by grace through faith. Because he's saying, you're going to be baptized and you're awaiting the coming Messiah. You're saying, I recognize that I'm at the end of my rope. I recognize that I can't do anything. And the chaff is going to be burned away by this coming Messiah. So I'm waiting for Him and putting all my expectation in Him. I'm trusting by this baptism, the symbolism is, is that my sin is washed away. Because he identifies, and he identifies the, um, the nature through the idolatry of the hearts. In verse 8, he says, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. In other words, you, the things you're doing, the sacrifices you're offering, they're not helping you live the life, the holy life that you long for. And then he says, don't begin to say it's okay because of our ancestry. I have a um, really vivid memory of a guy in college uh, just overhearing a, a conversation. It was in Spanish class. It was like my first semester. Uh, I think that's what I think it was. But I just remember him saying, it was this guy, we were freshmen, and he was talking to this girl who I think was a junior, which, so you know how they do. But, um, and, and he was saying, it's really cool. I just feel really glad I'm a Lutheran because all we have to do is, uh, is get baptized and we're good. Oh. <laughs> like, that's, I mean, I mean, Martin Luther then walks through the door and punched him in the foot. No. Um, <laughs> but I, that's just what, I mean, it was just, I just remember going, huh. Like, I mean, it's weird that he, I mean, he's distinguishing Lutheranism as, as his own religion, not as his denomination. But that's, uh, I'm just really, I'm really lucky because I don't have to worry about my life. In other words, I got, I'm, I'm good because of, the stock I came from is essentially what he's saying. I hope to God he, he had someone live into his life. I, I, just, I just remember that conversation. I didn't say anything. Which I probably should have. But, um, but that's what they're saying, right? We're, we're Abraham's children, so we're good. I just feel so lucky right, that I was born into this poor... Uh, Poor guy down the road from in in the Decapolis, you know the Gentiles. They, I don't know what's going to happen to them. It's um, so they're coming uh, to him because their idols aren't working, and um, the idols are the hearts. I mean, and he's offering them something different. But you may remember that baptism was the rite by which Gentiles became Jews. So they're coming to him as outsiders even though they're Jews, it seems like, they're coming to Him as outsiders and saying, please accept us. Not based on our merits, but on the merits of the coming Messiah. Which is the Gospel, right? That's why we say, um, in, in right one, we have the prayer of humble access. We're not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under Thy table. That's really offensive. You think about it. That flies in the face of our culture anyway. What the culture says about how great you are. Let me tell you, 
If my job was to tell you how great you are, you, could, you don't need me. Go to Starbucks. <laughs> They'll tell you how great you are. You need to come here so we can say, I know, me too. We need a Savior. So, interestingly, what, when they say, well, gosh, John, what do we do? He talks to them about how they wield their power in relationship to other people. He doesn't say what you really need to do is give up chocolate for 40 days. <laughs> now, that's not a bad thing to do. I, I, I am, but I, I just, uh, what, he, what he wants to get at is, uh, you know, I think that's why Luke lifts up tax collectors and soldiers. Remember, Luke's always concerned with lifting up the lowly. I think he's saying um, it's how we wield our power is, should be affected by our faith in Christ and how we treat other people. And that's not always easy. I mean, you get bad service, you want to let them know, right? You have a bad kid, you want to let them know. You have a, uh, you know, just somebody uh, cuts you off or won't let you over. I was trying to get off onto I-4 and the, yesterday, and I was on 95 heading south, and I could not get over, and I wanted to let that guy know. Bless his heart. <laughs> it is true. I had I missed it. I had to go down the road and turn around and come back, and I wanted to bless his heart. Uh, the, um, <laughs> so it's not just as easy as hearing it from, from John, is it? It actually requires that the chaff be burned away. And he says, what I'm doing is, is a symbol. I'm baptizing you with water. But what I'm doing externally, he is going to do internally. That's, that's what John is saying. And then Jesus shows up. And then he shows up. So, let's turn, if you have your Bible with you or on your phone or whatever, turn back to Matthew. And Jesus came, from, I'm in uh, chapter 3, verse 13. Uh, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him, and John would have prevented him. Of course he would. <laughs> like, God just said, this is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, and who comes and says, hey, will you help me repent of my sin? <laughs> I mean, John is going, wait a second, something's not right here. I know you don't have sin to repent of, so why I should be baptized by you. And Jesus says, but let it be so now, for thus is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. That sounds kind of Bible-y, doesn't it? Kind of churchy. What, what does that mean? What is Jesus doing? He's setting an example. He's setting an example. Yes. He's fulfilling the prophecy. And he's fulfilling the prophecy. Uh, yes, he is. I'm not sure. That, I don't remember a prophecy that said he would be baptized, but but he is fulfilling the prophecy because he's the he's the Lord who um, is that John was preparing the way for. He's taking repentance for all of us. He's taking that repentance for all of us. So he's aligning himself with you and me. So in a, in a very real sense, he's our substitute even in baptism. Now you and I have been baptized, but he is coming uh, and he is saying, "I'm with you," uh, because. You are a brood of vipers. And I am 
aligning myself with snakiness, not saying, I'm up here, get rich, shed your skin and then come up higher. <coughs> He's saying, you need me and I'm coming to you. I'm putting myself with you. So let it be, I'm fulfilling all righteousness. And then he, when he's baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descend like a dove and rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So you have the Son coming up out of the water of baptism, and you have the Spirit of God descending upon the Son and the voice of the Father uh, speaking over the Son. So you have the whole Trinity right there above the Jordan River. It's an amazing scene. And one that we uh, are right to contemplate. But I have heard it said that just as God speaks over you, I mean over Jesus, you, you are my beloved Child, and with you I'm well pleased. So He speaks over you. You are my beloved child, and with you I am well pleased. And friends, I want to say, don't let anybody say that to you without saying that, that those words are yours in Christ. Because I would say again, if, if, if God's pleased with you on your own merit, then what do you need us for? What do you need to take communion for? What do you need to come... For because you're good. You need to hear that you have a Savior. And in Christ, the, the, the well done, good and faithful servant, the this is my child with whom I'm well pleased, it is yours to take hold of because you are in Christ. You went down in the water of baptism. What is it, what, how long can you live underwater? Not long, right? Death. That's what baptism symbolizes. Even if you were just sprinkled, it still symbolizes the same thing. Underwater is death, and you come out of death into life. It's old is gone, the new has come, the chaff is washed away, uh, the wheat is taken into the barn. Whatever symbolism, whatever metaphor you want to draw to yourself, whatever uh, you identify with, you are His beloved child. And with you, He is well pleased because you are in Christ and the righteousness of Christ is given to you because Christ was baptized for, to fulfill all righteousness. Does that make sense? It is offensive. I mean, I know it's offensive. The, the gospel is offensive, but it is good news. Because you and I look in the mirror and go, what is going on with me? I, I, do, I did this last night. What is going on? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What is amazing then is that this, Jesus didn't um, get a map and then and just take a wrong turn and end up in the wilderness, right? The Spirit of God, which descended upon him in baptism, drove him out into the wilderness with the express purpose that he would be tempted by. Satan. That is extraordinary. Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. I think it is a really good thing that the church has seen fit to take the baptism of Jesus and make that a sacrament of initiation, but 
withheld the idea of each of us fasting for 40 days in the wilderness and making that be a, a sacrament of initiation. There would be a lot fewer Christians, I think, in the world. If, okay, all you have to do is you just have to go camping, uh, no tent uh, or sleeping bag, but just for 40 days, and by the way, don't take any food. That would be really, um, there would not be many of us left, I think. Um, so, uh, Trent does actually quite a good job in the sermon today of uh, talking about the different uh, temptations. But it, this is, in a very real sense for Jesus, another sort of baptism, isn't it? It's another death that He has to go through. Why does He have to go through it? it what, what does it recall? His 40 days in the wilderness, what does that recall? The Exodus. The Exodus and the 40 years in the wilderness. Now, if you remember the story of the Exodus, they came up out of Egypt, they went to Sinai, they got the law, they headed up to, uh, to the Jordan River, and they sent some spies into the land. The spies came back and said, Whew, that place looks great, let's go. Right? No. They said, those people are huge, <laughs> and we can't go in there. And because it was their lack of faith that God drove them into the wilderness. And in fact, that whole generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, died, including Moses, who was aligned with them as a sort of pre-savior. Uh, but he was, he, it was right, in a sense, for him to die with the people. But Joshua and Caleb were the spies that said, we should go, because God is giving this to us. So it recalls the 40 days in the wilderness, where they, in a sense, failed for their faithlessness, Jesus prevails with their faith, with his faithfulness. And in each case, uh, Jesus uh, is tempted not just to eat, as, as Trent will tell you, but, but to make that uh, ultimate. And I would not say not just to make bread ultimate, but to, to make his position as Son of God ultimate. Uh, Greek is constructed a little differently, and they would, uh, they, the way they constructed their sentences uh, implied something. So, um, he, they had a different way to construct their sentences. If you are the Son of God, and you are, then such and such. Or, if you are the Son of God, and I don't think you are. If you are the Son of God, and I doubt it, then such and such. And that, of course, the latter is, is the way this one's constructed. If you are the Son of God, and I doubt it, make a loaf of bread. What's the temptation? It's to, make, it's to prove himself. And then he takes him up to a high tower and says, I'm going to give you all, just all you got to do is worship me and you'll have all this power. All authority. Well, after the after I mean, after the resurrection, he takes the disciples out and says, what? All authority has been given to me. So the temptation is not to, to power, I don't think. I mean, all, there is a temptation there. He was going to get that anyway. So it's a short temptation to a shortcut. To not go through death and resurrection. A separation uh, from God. I have a, a friend who, who's a priest. His name's John Burwell. Uh, he's, I think he's retired now. He was in South Carolina. And, um, and before seminary, he was a radio DJ. So he'd always say, The word of the Lord be with you. I mean, it was just, he, had this, he never lost his DJ voice. And, um, but uh, so, so he was just trying to figure out, Am I going to stay in radio or am I going to go to seminary which is that's a struggle I never had but um, but the um, 
And he uh, he actually got a call from a, a, a big sort of up and coming, but but really already very well known uh, radio station in Charlotte. And so he drove up to Charlotte for his job interview, and the guy uh, had reserved uh, the top of sort of. Um, I don't know if it's a restaurant or if it's just an office space at the highest building in Charlotte. Took him up there for his interview and looked out across Charlotte and said, John, this can all be yours. <laughs> he, he enrolled in seminary the next week, I think. Uh, yeah. uh, he was like, I mean, it was just too, it was too real. Um, so Jesus is tempted to bypass cross and the resurrection. Why does, it, why does it have to be so difficult, Jesus? Just, just bow down and worship me and, and you, everything that's coming to you, you can have already. Pretty remarkable. Um, interesting too, isn't it, that <laughs> this idea, the other one, throw yourself down. Um, and it says right in Scripture that the angels will catch you. I find it hard to believe that was a big temptation. Oh, I'm so tempted to just jump off this tower. Although every now and then you, you do, you ever have that sort of impulse, you're on some, some ledge or something, you just think, can... no. No? <laughs> no. All right, well, I mean, but, so what, he, what is he tempted to do? In a sense, idolize Scripture. I mean, Jesus says, you, this is, you're telling me to put God to the test. You're not saying... I mean, you're saying, let's, let's see if this is really true. God, it, it, Jesus says, I know God is true. I don't, I don't, need, to, I don't need to do that. I'm not putting God to the test. I'm sure if we had more time, we could go through ways that you and I face these temptations. But the much more important thing is that He has been tempted in every way as we are and yet did not sin. That Jesus, where you and I are not faithful... Jesus has been faithful, and His report card is given to you. His name is scratched out, His A++ is scratched out, and your name is written on it, such that you have a relationship with God because of that. That's grace, y'all. That's great. That's what grace is. Grace isn't empowering you to do more and more, better and better. Now, that may be a fruit of it, but, but grace is saying you get the righteousness of Christ. Lent is a time of remembering how much we need it. But I, I mean, I tell people Lent is sort of my love language. I mean, I, I kind of live in Lent um, because we always need it. Uh, I, I love Lent for that. I, I, now, I don't give up sweets uh, and, and, things, and alcohol this time uh, for, for, for you know, more than Lent. I, I, I cut it off. I try, I try to honor the calendar in that way. But, um, <laughs> but I, um, but I, um, I do think that we never, ever, ever want to forget how much we need the Lord and how wonderful. And that's why John said this is good news. Because the thing in us that we can't fix by our own effort that God has declared fixed in the life of the Christian is learning to live as if that thing that has been declared true about us is true. Learning to live into what has been declared about you. That you are, in fact, the righteousness of Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, 
that He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of Christ. The right, you, you are the righteousness of Christ. And I don't know about you, but I can look at my last 24 hours and say, uh-uh. But that is what grace is. That's the good news. John came preparing the way. Jesus came, who's baptized and tempted. He is our substitute, both in His baptism and His temptation. He is our example, but only after He's our substitute. Amen? Amen. What are your questions or comments or thoughts? We all need the full armor the only source true source of righteousness is through him that's right we need the full armor of God his righteousness upon us absolutely thank you Ed yes Josh so with the temptation where you know, all the kingdoms could be yours all the power so it strikes me you, you talked about the later on all power is given to him well, in the first temptation, that's only really earthly power that, that Satan's offering. Whereas after the resurrection, he has not only power in heaven, but then also power over death. Yes. So it's a really incomplete offering that he's being given up front. You know, he, he, uh, does he know that later on he's going to have you know, the better package, I guess? To, I think I think so. I mean, I think at this point, and you might say, well, well that's, that's not much of a temptation, is it? To, um, well, that's not what I'm trying to say. Yeah, yeah, but if you already knew what was coming. I think, I think at this point, uh, I mean, and the temptation seems to come after the end, at the end of 40 days. So he's had a long time to think about it. I think this is where he is, uh, the, he, it's solidified both in his baptism with the, with the presence of the Spirit descending in a fresh way. I mean, he always had the Spirit, but it was in a fresh way upon him. I think this is where it's solidified in his understanding of, of just who he is. So, so yes, I think he knew. Yeah. Yeah, Dorsey. I think you said that uh, Jesus was faithful. He knew what his father could provide for him. He never doubted, and he knew nothing could compare to that. No, he never doubted. But so that brings up the question, though: Then what is temptation? Um, is temptation but if Jesus never toyed with the idea was, was he ever actually tempted uh, it's something for us to I don't know if we're going to answer it right this second gosh look at the time I look at all these things. I gotta go to church um, the truly human part of him was tempted and Richard raised his hand then ML you'll have the last word yes I was going to say that's the fully God fully man yeah Holy man that was tempted. Yeah. Yes. Last thing. The temptation is testing. If you look at it, it's testing rather than because God cannot ask us to do something that's wrong. So he's testing our faith. Yes. And that's temptation. The word temptation is also the word testing. It can be translated the way. That's, that's absolutely true. God bless you. I hope this is edifying to you. We'll see you in church.